Each of us has a unique career story to tell. For some, these fly high like rocket launches. For others, they're more like the game of shoots and ladders with advances and setbacks along the way. Either way, we learn countless lessons from these experiences. And that's what we put into the spotlight here at Career Sessions Career Lessons. Join discussions featuring a variety of guests sharing their stories of ups and downs, as well as the secrets of their success and what drives them to continue moving forward. We break down the tools and resources that will help you establish your dream career and realize your professional goals. Here's your host, J.R. Lowry. I'm J.R. Lowry. This is Career Sessions, Career Lessons, which is brought to you by Pathwise.io. Pathwise is dedicated to helping you live the career you deserve, providing career coaching, content courses, and community. Basic membership is free, so visit Pathwise and join today. Today, my guest is Kathy Gallowitz. Kathy is the founder and CEO of Vanguard Veteran, which cultivates and supports civilians who want to step up and lead the veteran champion movement. Her organization also offers strategic and comprehensive support for employers who want to source, hire, and retain veteran talent. Kathy is a military veteran herself, having retired as a lieutenant colonel after 30 years of service on active duty in the reserves and in the Air National Guard. Over the course of her career, she started as a nurse and then did a mix of marketing, public affairs, and community outreach work. Kathy is the author of Beyond, Thank You for Your Service, the Veteran Champion Handbook for Civilians. She is an active volunteer, especially with veteran-focused organizations. She lives in Phoenix, Arizona. Kathy, welcome. It's nice to have you on the show. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me, JR. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really curious to hear about Vanguard Veteran and the work you do. Okay, Vanguard Veteran overall equips civilians to become veteran champions. And I specialize in two particular areas. One, helping employers source and leverage veteran skill sets in ways that make their company more mission-focused and productive, just get you a stronger company overall. And I help volunteer faith community leaders build military ministries in ways that promote practical support, sense of belonging, and spiritual resiliency. Okay. You've been doing this for a while, and you've kind of made this your life's work. What are the issues that veterans, because I don't think most people are really all that familiar with the kind of issues that veterans face when they leave the military and try and enter the private sector? Well, as you know, JR, you've done this yourself. Really the hardest thing, I think, is the cultural differences. The cultural differences being coming from a hierarchical environment where things are, you know, somewhat predictable except for contingencies and crisis. You're always planning for that. But the hierarchy, how decisions are made, kind of what your next taskers are. There's really usually pretty clear expectations about how to get the job done. And we also have a little bit of a different communication style, right? I mean, we focus on efficiency, kind of a funny story. I'm married to a career active duty soldier with four combat tours and towards the latter part of his career. And after, since he's retired, he would say, oh, they're using up good army oxygen when people don't get to the point, right? Yeah. So there's cultural differences. There's certainly the network, whether you've served four years or 24 years, it's you can assume that people who leave the military have a small to non-existent professional network for them to leverage to try to find work. And as you know, most of our job opportunities come from networking, come from personal relationships. 
the best things in life I contend come from that network, be it career opportunities, babysitters, friends. And so the network is really something that service members have it, are disadvantaged for. And then sometimes there's other consequences of war or stressors of military service, be it visible or invisible wounds right. that service members have to work through. But I want to say real clearly and upfront that according to the Department of Veterans Affairs, only about 20% of Iraq and Afghanistan veterans have post-traumatic stress disorder. And mm. so there, there's really lots of myths and misconceptions wrapped around that notion. Right. People are fearful, uncertain. And I believe that uncertainty comes primarily from the sensationalism of the media. And because we are finding more and more that people with PTSD can have good full lives, learn how to manage their triggers. And oh, by the way, when two thirds of us, some sort of trauma in our life, it's really more likely that you'll meet a civilian with post-traumatic stress disorder than a military member because trauma can be a real nasty divorce. It can be a car accident. It can be any kind of civic, civic unrest, civic national disasters. I mean, gosh, so many of us have been through so much. It just seems to be more and more traumatic events happening, school shootings, et cetera, that when 1% of our nation serves in the military and right. two-thirds of us experience trauma, it's more likely that you'll meet a civilian. But the good news is that even if you have that diagnosis, that it can be managed well and accommodated very reasonably in the workplace. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, just the topic of mental health in general has become mm -hmm. much more acceptable to talk openly about. Recording in June, last month was Mental Health Awareness Month. It just gets a lot more positive discussion and constructive discussion than even five years ago. So whether you're a military veteran who's got PTSD or some other kind of mental health issue or the two-thirds of people who face some other kind of trauma in their lives, it's at least a lot easier to sort of deal with that and integrate sort of getting the right kind of care into the rest of your, your life. Absolutely. I'm very encouraged to see more and more employers having more robust yeah. mental health kinds of services for free. It's really exciting to see that it's being embraced more fully. You know, my first career is nursing. And physical health is really important, but mental health really mm. needs to be paid attention to. And so everyone's going to benefit this day and age yeah. from the increased awareness and increased action or intervention benefits that employers are offering. So that's really great. Yeah, it is. You were a veteran. You served a lot longer in the military than I did. What was your experience like getting out when you transitioned in the private sector? Well... <laughs> I've had quite a few different transitions. I have 29 good years, but for, I don't know, seven or eight of them, I was probably part-time military. And so when I was part-time military, I was either a full-time mom or I was a full-time employee in civilian settings. And so I didn't really have the experience of being full-time military and then becoming full-time civilian other than starting this business. Started yeah. this business about six years ago. And, and as you know, as an entrepreneur, that's that's a whole different story. But the transition experience that I hearken back to when you ask me this question is as a nurse, you would think that when I was a part-time military nurse and I was I was looking for full-time civilian nursing jobs, that you know, it's apples to apples. Well, it is apples to apples when you're looking at bedside care. Okay. Right. But when you start looking at trying to become a manager or a leader. I just remember when I interviewed for positions, there were two things that really struck me. Number one, 
I was nervous about how the civilian interviewers might perceive me. My fear was that they might think, oh, she's been in the military. She's probably really bossy. Or she might be a little bit too direct in her communication style. And so right, wrong, or indifferent. This was probably, gosh, now 30 years ago that this was my thinking. So I really tried to adapt or really be aware of my body language, my tone of voice. I try to smile a lot anyway, but I was trying even more to smile more. So I was very concerned and kind of nervous about that. Not that anybody said anything, but just because there were some stereotypes about maybe women who were serving. But the other thing that I found that although I was hopeful that my military experience would be viewed as a very positive leadership training ground, proving ground, if you will, I thought I brought that to the table. I always lost to the internal candidate. Mm. Now, I get that, right? I mean, a known product is better than maybe a risky product, if you will. But I was disappointed in that because I thought, gosh, wouldn't that extra commitment on my part, that extra dedication, that potential, you know, stressors moving away from home or, you know, whatever, I would hope that maybe there would be more willingness to give me the benefit of the doubt as compared to, you know, taking the safe route. But I get it. I get it. And so that was what I experienced during my transition. And I just kept trying eventually moved on to the different career opportunities just because I had other interests. You know, when I got out, and this is back in the 1990s, I went straight to grad school and I described it as my halfway house into the civilian world, right? But back then, I don't remember, and we were in a bit of a drawdown period. This is on the back of, you know, the Soviet Union breaking up and the Berlin Wall coming down. And the, on the back of all of that happening, they were encouraging people to leave the military, right? But I don't remember there being any kind of transition support. Back mm, right. What's the military doing now to help exiting members with the transition? Well, when President Obama was in service, <laughs> he did ask for an overhaul of the transition assistant program because it hadn't really been looked at in like 20 years. And so the good news is that they are doing it sooner. What I'm hearing is at least a year out, maybe even closer to that. But the best thing since sliced bread is the DOD skill bridge program. So okay. that with approval of your commander, as far out as six months prior to separation, you can go and do a paid kind of internship in different companies that have applied and been approved. It doesn't have to be six months. It can be less than that, as I understand it. But that is very popular and being used broadly by employers as a way to kind of be their halfway house, if you right. will, and test drive the talent and give the military member an opportunity to see if this is what they want, if this is where they fit well. And so that is very exciting. What I'm hearing, though, about the transition assistance program is that it's still really not where it needs to be. You know, it's about mm -hmm. five days and it's such a, such a stressful time for people transitioning. They may not be focused on it. Some of the training potentially could be stronger and there isn't enough emphasis on networking. And everybody I talk to, interviews I've done, service members that are transitioning, you just can't network enough. And that's not a strength of this program. And I think it also kind of focuses more on maybe federal jobs versus civilian jobs. And so there's a long way to go in terms of really preparing our service members for that transition. But it's certainly better. Yeah. than what you experienced 20 some years ago. So we're on the right tra trajectory. 
Mm. Uh, the the resumes I think are improving, but you know I think resumes are difficult for most anybody. <laughs> There's just lots of hurdles to go through and potential barriers in the overall employment process that makes it even more difficult for a service member who comes from a different culture, may not have interviewed for a job ever in their life. Right. It's just a tough process for a service member to go through. But the improvement of transitioning service members, the preparedness is improving. There's so much that's different, right? You have to think about saving for retirement. You have to think about health insurance. You have to think about built like creating a resume and doing interviewing. You know, so much is taken care of for you in the military that you have to figure out for yourself outside of the military. It is a big adjustment. Well, and I want to highlight that in the military, we are surrounded by lots of direction, but that doesn't mean that we're robots, okay? That doesn't mean that we're not critical thinkers, independent thinkers. Our focus, and again, depending on your age and your maturity level, you may be more externally focused than you are internally driven, if you will. Well, and as you know, in terms of making career choices and making decisions during your career, the fundamental piece is, who am I? What do I want? Where are my strengths? And where do I feel best performing? Well, you don't necessarily understand that when you are externally focused based on the needs of the military. That is a huge process in and of itself, but we are highly adaptable. We train easily. And we just need to keep growing and figuring out who we are, what we want, and what where we fit best. More and more companies are really focusing on this, trying to make a real practice of hiring military veterans. Are there particular industry sectors or companies that you would call out as doing a particularly good job? Well, it's very interesting to me that there isn't necessarily one industry that is sort of the best brand or best place to land based on your military skill sets because banking, finance. You wouldn't think that those are big, obvious apples to apples matches, but Chase through the jobs mission has built a coalition and Chase Bank is really, I tout them as sort of a pioneer in the veteran hiring space with Jamie Diamond and hitting that hard. Wells Fargo Bank is doing a great job with that. The industries that I'm really excited about that I think to me is almost a perfect marriage, if that's not too strong a statement, is manufacturing. The team focus, the structure, the technical pieces of it, the safety focus, manufacturers. I think we have an American production renaissance on our hands and manufacturing is just really coming back into being. And so if there's a manufacturer out there listening and you haven't been thinking about attracting veteran talent, I encourage you to get on it today. Why? Because The business case for hiring veterans is well understood. Veteran unemployment is at historic lows, although veteran underemployment is, I've read anything from 30 to 60% of veterans being underemployed. But the competition for veteran talent is fierce now, and it's only going to get more competitive as time goes by. And so there's a win-win for hiring a veteran and they can be hired for aptitude and trained in any industry, JR. Okay. Mm. But I think manufacturing is ideally suited for this talent pool. You described a little bit just the discomfort that you felt interviewing, you know, in a civilian setting. What advice would you give companies for how to source and how to properly interview military talent? Okay. That's two questions. Let's talk about sourcing first. Sure. So there's lots of national 
sources that you can tap into, hiring our heroes, recruit military, all kinds of job boards, all kinds of tools. But I really encourage employers to be proactive in building that veteran talent pipeline by identifying your local sources, be they nonprofits, agencies, bases, state programs, and really tapping into those sources and developing trusting relationships with those people who know the military talent, distinguishing yourself in the local community, participating in veteran recognition events, Hmm. you know, wearing your t-shirt, wearing your logo, showing up at Team Red, White, and Blue, going to the parades, going to the recognition events, and getting to know the veteran community leaders so that they know that you're serious about hiring veterans. A construction company recently in Ohio told me that we went to the local Red Horse unit in Air National Guard base. Red Horse, as you know, are civil engineers, and they hired one. And then guess what? Their buddies started joining the same company. And so that's really the model for military hiring is get known in a local unit, get known in your local regional community, build relationships, and you will find that service members, you know, more often than not are going to follow their comrades, if you will, and want to join that company if it's a good company. So interviewing, find some way to connect with that candidate. If you have a military parent, a military spouse, if you've appreciated, respected someone's service in your community, talk about that. It's important to try to put that candidate at ease. They'll probably come in with stiff body posture and yes, ma'am, and no, sir, and may only answer questions when asked, probably will not initiate conversation a lot, particularly if they're younger and enlisted. The officers and those with more education are probably more at ease. And yet still, that's just part of our demeanor, how we show respect to people and One of the things about our communication skills and, you know, we're taught to listen more than to speak a lot of times. So try to put them at ease, try to find some way to connect and ask behavioral or situational kinds of questions that will help them explain how their strengths and or the impact that they've made. Because, again, self-promoting, talking about me is not something that we do well. It's always about the team. It's not about me. So a a skilled interviewer needs to try to pull that out of them. And I think some of the job seekers are being taught the star uh, method of describing their answers, but they may need to be taught that in the interview so that they can really do a good job on their own behalf. And then also realize that, let's say a junior person says, well, I drove a truck in the military. Well, what the heck is that truck? And then ask questions surrounding the amount of equipment that they were responsible for, the dollar amount, the number of people, the health and safety of those people, potentially, if they were in combat. And so very simple statements can be made by the job seeker. And the interviewer needs to be alert and attuned and sensitive to what could be all around surrounding a very simple statement and pull that out of the job seeker. Because again, self-promoting and talking about me is not something that we're very good at. That'll get you going in the right direction. And the other piece to not forget is to use military skills translators in prior to the job so you understand the military occupational code right. and how that translates into civilian positions. Uh, look at the knowledge, skills, and abilities. Really dig through that a little bit so that if you don't really understand what they did in the military, you can compare 
notes on the military skills translators. The one I like a lot is O-NET, O-apostrophe-N-E-T. Do your homework before you get to the interview so you know what questions to ask. What about getting them onboarded, getting them comfortable so that they stay in the longer term? Well, as you know, a good onboarding process for someone who's never been in the military is important. It's one of the early indicators of retention. But someone who has served in the military and honestly feels like a fish out of water is even more important. Research shows that about 55% of Iraq and Afghanistan veterans feel disconnected to mainstream America. Mm. And so that disconnection makes them feel just really very unfamiliar, if not a fish out of water, really feeling, you know, really feeling different. But there may be some levels of, well, gee, is this an environment? Is this a person that I can trust? And so a good thorough onboarding checklist, if you will, that's not pencil whipped. That's my language for you're just going through the motions. That's the language that we use in the military. Take it seriously. I recommend assigning a veteran in the company as well as a civilian who has an open door policy that will receive questions kind of on a spur of the moment as much as possible. Because that new military hire is going to have a lot of questions and they're going to feel very oftentimes uncertain about who to ask, when to ask. And some of them are super small and some of them may be much bigger. So I offer an onboarding checklist template on my website. I recommend maybe a year long template with frequent check-ins and just take nothing for granted and have sort of a, a central point of expertise to coordinate benefits, to ask questions. I mean, that's really another really good best practice is have somebody in your organization who kind of gets all things military, whether they're currently serving in the Guard and Reserve or they've retired or they've recently been discharged. Just having somebody in the organization who kind of gets all things military is a really good idea and part of onboarding that will help that person succeed. And then connect them to their veteran employee resource group. If you have one, if you don't, maybe a committee or a group of people. Veterans usually attract other veterans. You know who each other is. You tell stories and they show up to help you. But if you can help facilitate, promote that, it's really going to help with the onboarding of that new hire. I know you feel it's important to link veteran hiring with corporate citizenship and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Why is that so? And what does that look like in your view? Military hires are one of the the most diverse people you will meet. Not only are they diverse in terms of ethnicity or race, but they're diverse in their cognitive processes, their work experiences. Diversity, inclusion, and hiring goes well beyond hiring minorities and women. Military people, I think, are part of diversity inclusion, but my bias is that it's really a and a a workforce attraction and retention approach that you cannot miss. It's bigger than DE&I. It's part of talent attraction and retention. Yes, oftentimes it's nestled in within DE&I, but I think having a close collaboration with talent acquisition and with the recruiters is really going to benefit the company most because veteran talent has shown to be more productive, less absent, And with those two key components, there's a good opportunity to generate cost savings if veteran hiring is done well. Corporate citizenship is all about being out in the community, leveraging your brand to do good in the community and do things in ways that aligned with the mission of your company and help the community at the same time. So oftentimes there's things like volunteering, 
or philanthropic efforts that are part of corporate citizenship or corporate social responsibility. And so aligning your philanthropy in the veteran community and not just talking the talk, but walking the walk, that is a proven veteran retention tactic. If the veterans in your organization see that you're actually supporting veteran causes or veteran events outside your community, wow, that's very powerful. And then oftentimes companies will match volunteer time or volunteer hours and give back or allow you to spend work time on volunteer charitable efforts. And so align those in the veteran community, wear your company t-shirt. And I mean, again, out in the community, that speaks very powerfully of the company's commitment to veteran hiring and commitment to veterans in general. So if you're spearheading a military hiring program, make sure it's nestled in talent acquisition, recruiting, DE&I, and corporate citizenship. That's really how you'll get your big bang for your buck. Let's turn to the topic of veteran champions. How do you define being a veteran champion? The title of my book is Beyond Thank You for Your Service, The Veteran Champion Handbook for Civilians. In this book, I've featured about 20, mostly Ohioans, who are demonstrated civilian veteran champions. That is people who have built mutually beneficial activities and services that promote quality of life of our veterans. And by so doing, I contend improve their quality of life, the civilians Mm. quality of life, or these civilian veteran champions improve workforce by hiring veterans or their community because veterans are civic assets. And so by knowing the veterans in your community, you will help them assimilate and transition better into civilian life. And so a a civilian veteran champion knows who the veterans are, develops relationships with them, and acts, goes beyond thank you, beyond words, and acts in ways that improves quality of life, workforce, and community. The book, JR, is full of practical strategies that you can use as an employer, lawyer, doctor, community leader, educator and member of the faith community to go beyond thank you and actually implement strategies that bring our service members all the way home and improve our communities and workforce and, of course, the quality of life of our veterans. Where do we need those kind of veteran champions the most? Employment and faith. Okay. That's why I spend most of my time there. And I believe that because as you know, your job is a huge part of your identity, a huge part of your financial health and your emotional health, really. And so if we can help our veterans get a career, not a job, help them develop and reach their potential and serve that employer well, it's such a win-win for the employer and the military hire. And in the faith community, I believe that our spiritual health is fundamental to our overall well-being. And so a military ministry promotes connection, promotes practical support, spiritual resiliency, and I believe decreases social isolation and will help curb veteran suicide. But especially now when so many of our warriors are are coming home with, they're surviving combat today and like more often than in our forever war, there's so many more warriors that, that could benefit from some spiritual resiliency, from leading on their faith. Because research shows that about 40% 
of our service members have a difficult time finding meaning or purpose and regaining touch with their spirituality after mm. military service, especially if you've been in combat. But you don't have to have been in combat to experience stressors of military service or stressors of life, period. So leaning on your faith, strengthening your faith really helps promote your overall well-being and happiness. For somebody who wants to be a veteran champion, where should they start? Well, I'd encourage you to read the book just to get an overall understanding of what you can do from where you sit in society, if you will. It's available on Amazon. Okay. I'd like to offer you a couple links. One is to do a veteran-ready assessment of your company to see how you're doing with veteran hiring. Another is to look at military ministry and where is your congregation in terms of building that. I offer a complimentary discovery call for employers and a monthly coaching call for people who want to be involved in even looking or considering building a military ministry. And so there's offer you some of those links to put in the, in your show notes. That sounds great. We will definitely do that. A few minutes left. Tell me about how you got into the military in the first place. Did you want to be a nurse and the military was the way to do it? Or did you want to be in the military and nursing just happened to fall out of that? It was really the latter. I grew up in an active duty Navy family mm. and followed my dad around the world, attending a French speaking preschool in Paris, okay. graduating from high school in Iceland, going mm. to college in Munich, Germany. Wow. And fundamentally, I grew up uh, learning to love my country. My brother went to the Naval Academy, and I really just wanted to serve. It was just something that was ingrained in me very early on. It's very typical for members of military families to want to go on and serve. I guess about 80% of the military comes from people who have, have a family heritage of serving. That was really important to me. And then my choice to be a nurse came second. My parents paid for my college. And so Air Force nursing was my first choice career. I wanted to join to serve, but then also the leadership opportunities, educational opportunities, the incredibly diverse values-based people. Those are the people I wanted to get to know and work alongside. And then I also was excited about the physical fitness aspect of serving because I enjoy exercising Attempting to be somewhat physically fit is important to me. So there were lots of reasons, but the primary one was the opportunity to serve and give back. You did have that transition. How would you describe sort of the differences in terms of the way leadership works in the military? Because you moved up to the ranks, how leadership works in the military and how leadership works in the civilian world. What's similar? What's different? What's universal, JR, mm. is that leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And I borrow that from John Maxwell. Leadership is about relationship and trust, period. Whether you're wearing your uniform or not, a good leader keeps those primary, having good relationships, building trust, taking care of your people. That is universal in terms of leadership. I think in the military, we have a little bit of, oh, I would say a benefit to motivate people. And that is because of rank. You know, right. rank really gets people's attention and our workforce is very highly trained to respect rank and be motivated to make the team work. I mean, that's all part of kind of basic training and our mindset. OK, leadership in some ways, it's different in that because our workforce is very motivated, very disciplined. And so the best leaders are going to be focused on taking care of their people. Of course, lots of integrity. And I think we have a lot of good leaders in the military. I think what's different is that 
sometimes our leaders can be a little bit maybe direct or maybe sometimes forget that really do need to take care of that person. Mission is important, but you really have to take care of your people too. Now, I think the other thing that's wonderful about military leadership is that there's an emphasis on grooming your subordinates, on developing your people, because you know, I mean, you've heard this, you know, you might get hit by a bus tomorrow, so to speak, and you have to have somebody be able to step into your shoes. In the civilian workforce, there is some interest in that, but I'm not sure it's done really very well. And there may even be people that feel threatened by that. Maybe advancement, a lot of people want to be, want to advance, but in the military, we expect you to advance. And if you don't, you know, most people get out. So having a career development process is really important to retain military people. And the leadership in civilian work life is just less clear, more ambiguous. And I think from what I've read, I understand that there's just a lot of opportunity to do more in the civilian workforce, to develop your people, to groom them, to help them reach their potential. You've been in a lot of different situations. You've been a nurse, you've been in marketing and PR and public affairs, community outreach. You've been an active military, reserve military, Air National Guard. You've been an entrepreneur. You've worked in the civilian world. What are the strengths? (laughs) I read your background. You've done your homework. (laughs) Yeah. What are the strengths that you've consistently drawn on? Before the age of 35, I'd lived in at least 20 different communities, right? That's not moves. That's just communities. And I know you're living overseas. And, you know, most people in the military, active duty, do a lot of moving. but And so do civilians. But when you are mobile and transition a lot, number one, you learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable, not knowing, finding your way, extending your hand in friendship, um, getting resources. And what comes along with that? is really kind of a level of confidence. Okay, let's see, I got through this, I did that. Okay, you learn that the answers emerge and that there's good people everywhere. Yeah. And if you keep asking the right questions and you don't give up and you have a good attitude and you work hard, that more often than not, you can be successful. It takes a lot of perseverance and stamina and resiliency to do that. So that's really what comes to mind when you ask me that. Yeah. Last question. What do you wish somebody had told you back when you were in the beginning part of your career that you've learned since then? Let's say that my parents never said you can't, Hmm. but I didn't necessarily hear people that you can go do it, go get it. My mother instilled in me a a strong sense of identity and self-worth. I think really just believe in yourself and be willing to take risks informed, reasonable risks, because it's a big, beautiful world out there and there's lots of opportunity and we need good people to do good things. Great. Well, that's a good way to wrap up. I've learned a lot from this. Thank you. And given that I'm involved in our veteran ERG at work, it will definitely be helpful in that setting. I sincerely appreciate your time today. Thank you. I really appreciate your interest and thank you for your service and all you're doing now to help military people transition well and reach their potential. And you as well. Have a good rest of your day. It was really good having Kathy on the show. As I mentioned to her at the close there, I'd learned an awful lot about the ways that we can all help veterans transition out of the military and get them into the companies that we work for or or the companies in our communities. If you're ready to take control of your career, whether you're a military veteran or not, you can certainly visit pathwise.io. If you'd like more regular career insights, become a Pathwise member. Basic membership is free. 
You can also sign up on the website for the Pathwise newsletter. Follow Pathwise on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Career Sessions, Career Lessons. We hope the nuggets of wisdom shared today help guide your path to the successful career of your dreams. This podcast series is part of Pathwise.io, which is here to help you live the career you want. We provide a comprehensive mix of career and professional development events, insights, tools, and exercises backed by a group of leading coaches and other career management experts. If you aspire to something more or just something different in your career, join us at Pathwise.io. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. See you again on the next episode.